next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I, saw, I said I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We are taking a break from our series in the Old Testament, and we're going to be spending the next three weeks uh, looking at reaching out to our neighbors. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, evangelism. We're going to be talking about welcoming people into our church, how to be a welcoming church. And uh, one of the reasons that we're doing this is because starting on November 1st, there is a new ministry that's going to begin called uh, the Welcoming Ministry. And I know that welcoming behavior has been happening for years here at Elam, uh, but we're going to take special efforts to connect people that are new, that are coming in as guests into our Sunday services, uh, connecting them with the different things that are going on, connecting them with people, helping them feel more uh, welcome than ever. And uh, in some ways, it's kind of like your home where you've become maybe a little lax in, in hospitality and reaching out. And so we're taking in a, a little bit more of an effort. And uh, Sherry Russum is going to be leading up our welcoming ministry. If you're interested in being uh, on that ministry, and you get a nice, awesome magnetic name tag. So uh, join it. Actually, that's been the most popular ministry. We, we started out, I think we've got, what, like 20 people already signed up for this thing? And I was like, okay, this is, this is uh, obviously... Uh, in the heart of a lot of people. And so, as we look at this particular passage today, we realize that uh, businesses love word of mouth advertising. And let's say that you and your wife or you know, a friend went out to a local restaurant and you tried it, you severely loved it, it was just so great, and uh, you loved the atmosphere, the service was fast and friendly, and uh, the food was fantastic. And perhaps later that week, you're talking to a friend and they say, you know, I'd, I'd like to take my wife out for uh, dinner this weekend. And of course you're going to tell them about the great experience that you had at this restaurant. In fact, you may begin to try to compel him. You have to go there, man. It's so great. No other form of advertising even comes close to word of mouth. This was the case for me at my barber shop. Uh, very rarely did I see that anybody found me... Um, you know, online or even back in the yellow pages. And uh, 
Uh, for you, those that are way younger than us, uh, some of us in this room, the yellow pages, that's what we used before uh, we found internet uh, businesses uh, in the dark ages. And I'd say that probably 90% of the time a customer would say, my friend told me to give you a try. Now, I'm going to try to connect that analogy a little bit to our uh, scripture here in a little bit of a limited sense. Um, because there is a typical experience that we have when we go out and we talk to people. I have this a lot of times uh, when I'm golfing. Uh, sometimes I get paired up with guys in my golf group and uh, they don't know me. And perhaps during the course of the round, uh, one of them will inevitably ask, what do you do for a living? And I'll tell them, well, I'm a minister. And usually there's an awkward silence <laughs> for a little while, uh, followed by a concerted effort to clean up their language. <laughs> One guy even told me jokingly how annoyed he was that I was a minister because he couldn't take out his frustrations like he had before on his ball. And I said, well, maybe that's why you're not playing so bad, or why you're playing so bad, because you're cursing your ball, the course, and all of these other things. So my friend, Pastor uh, Paul Neeland, actually has a creative way of telling guys that he golfs with what he does for a living. He tells them that he's a realtor for post-retirement luxury homes. <laughs> and so... As we consider those that we would like to invite to church, it's their post-retirement or their afterlife that we are mainly concerned about. What will happen to that friend, to that neighbor, that family member, if they do not secure their heavenly mansion? Well, unfortunately, the Bible makes it clear that they will be cast into hell. And for the rest of this message, we're going to be considering the first disciples and how they were called and how they responded to that call and then reached out to other people around them. First in verse 43 of our text here in uh, John, we see that Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He decides to go there and to find somebody particularly, Philip. He went there to find him. And when he finds him, he walks up and he says, follow me. Now, this might seem a little strange out of the blue if a stranger walked up to you and said, follow me, you'd probably be like, get away from me, you weirdo, you know? But we have to recognize that Philip had been one of John the Baptist's disciples before this. And so he had heard about Jesus. John had pointed and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John had prepared some of Jesus' first disciples ahead of time. In fact, that was his mission, to make straight the path of the Lord. The call of Philip shows us that God is still preparing people to follow Jesus. He's working on them before you even walk up to them and tell them about this Jesus, inviting them to church. We know this from a few verses. Jesus said in uh, John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. And so even now, God is working on your friends, drawing them. In fact, they can't come to Jesus unless they are drawn by the Father. Also, we see that God used John the Baptist to prepare Philip to meet Jesus. And so too, God is using many means to prepare your friend to meet Jesus. The Bible uses agricultural language to describe this. Consider 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul states, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. 
We also know that there's an internal witness concerning God in people's hearts. We see this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, where Solomon says that God has written eternity in the hearts of men. And so you'll never walk up to a person uh, uh, that doesn't have at least some level of spirituality, that hasn't thought about their own mortality. When you go up to people and they say, well, I'm not spiritual, they are spiritual. I don't think about things that when I die. No, you, they do. <laughs> the Bible tells us that they do. That's because we all long for eternity. Back when I was pastoring in California, we did a door-to-door survey. Okay, So we were trying to get people in the neighborhood to come and, you know, to this event that we had going on. And so we went door-to-door and we had a questionnaire. And so I went up to the door of this one woman and I asked her uh, you know, this questionnaire. And one of the first questions was, do you believe in God? She says, no, I'm an atheist. Then I asked her the next, que- next question, where do you think you're going to go when you die? Oh, I'm going to heaven for sure. <laughs> you know. Didn't believe in God, but she had eternity in her heart. She wanted to go to heaven. And I asked her, well, why are you so sure that you're going to heaven? She says, well, because I'm a good person. She acknowledged there's this place after we die. And there's so much confusion out there in the world about spirituality and religion. That's why Jesus told Philip and continues to tell us, follow me. I know where I'm going. I won't lead you astray. I can get you to that eternal destination that you're looking for and longing for. Right after Jesus calls him, Philip does the only natural thing. He runs off to tell a friend, his friend Nathaniel. He says to him, we have found the one of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The phrase, we have found him, means that he and some unknown group of people have been looking for this guy. Now some might conclude that the we means the immediate friends of Philip, you know, the other guys from John the Baptist group or whatever. I believe that he was speaking about the we that goes way beyond that small group. At the very least, I think he was talking about Israel itself. We have been looking for the Messiah. But beyond that, I think he was talking about mankind in general, people. We've been looking for this since the creation of the world, since the promise that the seed would crush the serpent's head. We've been looking for this Savior. Remember that from the last writing in the Old Testament book of Malachi to the birth of Jesus, it had been 400 years. They hadn't heard a prophetic word in all of that time. And now Jesus has arrived. Mankind had been waiting for the arrival of Jesus for thousands of years, and Nathanael had been waiting for a Savior. And now his friend rushes up to him and tells him, the wait is over. We found him. The long-awaited Messiah is within walking distance of you, Nathanael. And I love Nathanael's response. How can anything good come from Nazareth? (laughs) Kind of be like, you know, if you told somebody in Lake Stevens, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Everett. (laughs) How can anything good come from Everett, right? You know? Sorry to you all who live in Everett. (laughs) But the most important thing is that this entire conversation actually happened. Philip actually got up. He actually went. He actually talked to a friend. Because he could have been like, you know, I kind of need to hedge my bets here. I don't want to tell a whole lot of people because this whole thing might not work out, you know? I'm just going to see how it all plays out. 
But Philip didn't keep it to himself. He went out and he ran and he told somebody they cared greatly about and made this amazing proclamation. We have found the Savior, the Messiah. Now when you go out and you invite your friend to come attend church, you're not telling them, come, we found a great pastor. Although, I mean, you know. Or come, we found a nice group of people. Or come, we have such a great building. You're telling them, come, we have found the Messiah. You're inviting them to hear the very saving words of Jesus. And people are going to be skeptical, like Nathaniel was. And that's a good thing. It's good to be skeptical. But Philip doesn't let them de- this deter him. He says, come and see for yourself. I can just imagine all the thoughts that are racing through Nathaniel's mind as he approached Jesus that day. This guy doesn't look like the Messiah, just looks like a normal person. How is he going to save me? But then something amazing happens. As Nathaniel's approaching, Jesus says to him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And suddenly Nathaniel's heart begins to beat a little bit faster. This man somehow knows something about my character. A while back I was listening to a bunch of people talking about God that didn't know I was a pastor. And many of them were not Christians, or they were agnostics. One woman said, I don't believe that God is personal. I believe that it's just a force that all of us can connect to the universe for. A man said, God is not someone who communicates with us. We are on our own to figure it all out. And one former Catholic said, I don't believe that we find God by going to church or looking to the cross. What kind of God kills his son? And so these people had one thing in common. They did not know God on a personal level. They knew about what their perception of God was, but God had not spoken to their hearts personally. Many things in their lives had blocked them from this, from hearing from him, including sin, religion, popular culture. But Nathaniel here realizes that this Jesus of Nazareth somehow knows him. Now up to this point, he's probably thinking that maybe Philip told Jesus about him, and so he asks, how do you know me? Jesus shocks him by telling him, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. He saw him in a place that he had been. Jesus saw you under your fig tree. Jesus saw your friends and continues to see them under their fig tree. And this is scary and comforting. It's scary because it means that he knows about all the places that you have been. Secret, dark places. But it's also comforting because even though he knows all about your sin and your guilt and your shame, he's calling you to follow him, to become one of his friends, to be a disciple. Upon realizing that Jesus is actually the one that Philip claimed he was, he falls down at his feet and he begins to worship. Rabbi, you are the son of God the king of Israel. And I can just imagine Jesus sort of chuckling here, you know. Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. 
And he goes on in the next sentence to describe the greater things that he's going to see. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Once you realize that Jesus knows about you and that he still wants a relationship with you, hopefully along with Nathaniel, you will fall at his feet proclaiming, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. But Jesus wants to let you know that that's just the beginning of the journey. When was it that Nathanael saw heaven open and angels descending and ascending on Jesus? Well, it's important to note the grammar here, and so we turn to Lenski's commentary on this verse. Because if you shall see was in the simple future tense, then it would have a punctiliar meaning, meaning you shall see one time. However, it has the sense of what's called the durative, which means you shall see over and over again. Although throughout the ministry of Jesus they saw these miraculous deeds, we see that heaven opened and the angels descend and ascend on the Son of Man over and over again. While he's doing miracles, while he's hearing from his Father. In fact, Jesus told Peter, I have at my beck and call 12,000 angels. And so Jesus had a direct line to the Father, and he had access to all the angelic hosts. When Jesus called you to be the disciple, as great as that was, it was only, only the beginning. Because he promised that you will see greater things than these. That's because you now have direct access to the Father, as indicated in Hebrews 4.16. It says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The throne room is open. You can go in. You have direct access to the Father. You also have direct access to angelic hosts in heaven. The author of Hebrews in verse 114 asks the rhetorical question, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The answer is yes. Angelic hosts have been sent to you as servants of the Most High to serve you and to help you in your ministry. They're there to minister. Listen to the account of how Michael, the archangel, by the way, was dispatched to help Daniel in the Old Testament as recorded in Daniel 10, 11 through 12. Daniel, you are highly respected. Pay attention to my words. Stand up because I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up trembling. He told me, don't be afraid, Daniel. God has heard everything that you said ever since the first day that you decided to humble yourself in front of your God so that you could learn to understand things. I have come in response to your prayers. When you pray, heaven moves. God wants to help you. God wants to send angelic hosts. He wants to fight against the enemy. Back in the 90s, like probably late 80s, early 90s, there was a great uh, series that came out by a guy by the name of Frank Peretti called This Present Darkness. There were a few books in that series. And it was the first time in pop culture that we had seen that 
the angelic world was opened up to us and showed uh, to us, okay, all this is going on all around us. By the way, there are angels right now in this room, in the spiritual realm. We know that because God's people are here worshiping, and they're here ministering. Now, that doesn't mean we get overly focused on angels, right, and begin to worship them. I've seen all this out there where people have, like, bumpers, you know, my angel is flying close, you know, don't follow too close to me, or, you know, just bizarre stuff like that, or they'll have pendants with angels, or, you know, my guardian angel this. That's not the focus. The focus is is that they're to help you, uh, they're there to help you point people to Jesus. And this is so exciting for us, the greater things that the Lord wants to do through us. In conclusion here this morning, convincing someone that we found a terrific restaurant for them to try, that's a nice gesture. But think about this. If we can get that excited about a place where somebody's going to eat and the owner is never even going to know who recommended them, how exciting is it that we can compel someone to come to church where they will hear the amazing gospel message that their sins can be forgiven? How exciting is it to realize that if they place their trust in Christ, they get to spend eternity with us, with the saints. Also, the restaurant owner isn't going to track you down and give you some kind of reward for you recommending his restaurant, is he? But listen to how God rewards those who win souls for his kingdom. In Matthew 6.20, Jesus said, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What are the treasures he's talking about? It's obviously not gold. It's obviously not money. If you want gold, just go out in the street and dig some up. The pavement is made of it. He's talking about relationships. Those are the treasures that we store up in heaven. When we tell the people around us about Jesus, they go to heaven, the Bible tells us that you will be welcomed into heavenly dwelling places because of the investment that you made in the lives of people. New people in heaven because of the word of your testimony. I'd like to leave you with an admonition from the great London preacher Charles Spurgeon. If they told me that the harvest of some harsh, overbearing tyrant was perishing, I might say, let it. If he had it, what good would be to him or anybody else? He grinds the faces of the poor who wants to see him rich. But when it is our gracious God, our blessed loving Father, one cannot bear the thought, and yet Jesus puts it before us that it is God's harvest that is perishing for lack of reaping. Friend, will you go quickly to your Nathaniel, who's under the fig tree, Or will you just leave them there, perishing and unharvested? Father God, we come before you today, and we thank you that you called us. We thank you that a friend came to us and told us about the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Lord, help us be that friend. Help us be that one who invites in. Help us be the one to bring that person to Jesus so that they can come and bow before your feet, declaring, You are the Messiah, the King of Israel. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. 
If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.